0: We are approaching the end of our Sermon on the Mount series. This is the second to last week, and we are uh, in chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. So I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open up and follow along or follow along on your device. It'll also be available up here on the, the screen there. And if you are physically able to stand, would you please stand to honor the reading of God's Word? Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24. These are the words of Jesus. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of getting to hear your words this morning. What a gift, what a treasure this is, that, that we sit and open Bibles and hear your word to us. I pray that we would not take that for granted, but Lord, that this morning we would be still and open our hearts to receive what you would say to us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would be mightily at work in this room. Uh, Lord, work in spite of me, for your glory. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that understand and trust you. And may you be glorified, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as Chipper said, it's, uh, it's graduation weekend. and big congratulations to all of you. Hopefully, it has been uh, a time filled with family, celebrating with friends. Uh, lots of cake, and uh, hopefully the the song of pomp and circumstance gets out of your head after like a month. I don't know about you. If you attend a graduation, you go to graduation. It's like you you dream it for weeks because it just is on repeat over and over again. Uh, but commencement, of course, is a time of, of celebrating, of giving thanks, uh, and it's also a time of of looking ahead and dreaming about the future. It's a time to consider what you will do, what you will, where you will go, and how you will use the things that you've learned over the last four plus years. But most importantly, it's a time to consider who you will become. And that charge is the same charge that we get from Jesus in this passage this morning. But of course, it's not just for graduates, it's for all of us. We've been working through the the Sermon on the Mount, and we are here in the final section, and this is the fourth of four calls to respond that Jesus is giving us. He has called us to follow him on the narrow path. He's called us to listen to him and to his words, not to the words of false prophets. He's called us to know him truly, sincerely, intimately, not superficially. And now here, finally, he calls us to obey him. And what we see in this text is a hard teaching, a good teaching, a beautiful teaching, a challenging teaching, and it is that saving faith in Christ entails doing what he says. That a genuine trust in Jesus must include, come along with, obedience to him. And Jesus highlights two realities In this final call, that there is a choice to make, and that there's a test that's coming. There's a choice to make, and there's a test that is coming. So we begin by considering uh, this choice, and in at the end of this sermon here, Jesus is presenting a parable to illustrate the choice that all of us must make. It's the parable of the wise and the foolish builder, right? Maybe one that we are familiar with. The wise builder constructs his house on a firm foundation upon the rock. And even in the face of a fierce storm, the house remains standing. But the foolish builder constructs his house on the sand. And later, when a fierce storm comes, the house was destroyed. This is personal to us Floridians who build on sand, right? We need a good foundation. We may commonly hear this passage and and understand it to mean that we should build our life upon Jesus, right? That he's the only sure foundation. And that is absolutely 100% true. But it's not the point that Jesus is making here. And we know that because of how Jesus identifies the builders. He says the wise builder is the one who hears these words of mine and does them. Or other translations say the, the one who acts on them or, or who puts them into practice. Whereas the foolish builder is everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. So the metaphor is actually about the choices that the builders make. The one who hears Jesus and does what he says is wise. Whereas the one who hears Jesus and does not do what he says is tragically foolish. So his point is simple. We all must choose what we will do with the words of Christ. In his sermon on the mount, he has shown penetrating understanding of the human condition and insightful application to all of life. This is true not just of this sermon, but the whole of his ministry, And you notice that throughout here and throughout the Gospels, there are crowds that are amassing around him. They're intrigued. They're excited. They, They love what he's talking about. But now Jesus puts it to them, and he puts it to us. What will we do with his words? It's not enough simply to hear his words. It is not enough Merely to believe his words. If we are to follow Christ, we must not only hear and believe his words, we must put them into practice. The difference between these two courses, those who hear and and believe but don't practice and those who do, is much like the difference between drawing up a, a blueprint or rendering of a house and actually building and dwelling in that house. One is a great idea, and the other is a home. And if we simply hear and believe, but don't take any action, we do well to recall the piercing words from the epistle of James. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. To believe alone, without it making any difference in our life, is to be of the same mind and camp as the very enemy of God, which is why the reformers had an adage that we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith which is alone, and that explains the severity of Jesus' warning here. Donald Hagner uh, says it like this: Perhaps no passage in the New Testament expresses more concisely and more sharply that the essence. Of discipleship is found not in words, nor in religiosity, nor even in the performance of spectacular deeds in the name of Jesus, but only in the manifestation of righteousness, that is, the doing of the will of the Father. And that is what Christ wants that we would not only hear, that we would not only believe, but instead he pleads with us. That we would let his words change our lives. That we would turn this blueprint into a home, a place where you dwell with him. That you take his teaching into the very core of your being and you walk in the way of Jesus. You see, ultimately, the choice of what we do with the words of Jesus reveals our answer to a, a more fundamental question What do we do with Jesus himself? Who is he to us? Is he just a historical figure, inspirational sayings? Is he a wise teacher? Is he a a mythical idea? Or is he Lord and King of all? You know, when the crowds were gathered around him, he asked his disciples later on in the Gospels, who do the crowds say that I am, right? And they said, some say Elijah, some say prophets. And Jesus then turns to them and he says, who do you say that I am? And the answer to that question for each of us will determine what we do with his words. And our behavior reveals our choice. That's his point here. You know, the popular uh, clinical psychologist Julie Smith, she uh, recently has a best-selling book. She's, uh, I think, practices in England. She says that uh, when there's a disconnect between someone's actions and their words, that is, when they're saying one thing and they're doing another and the actions and the words don't align and you don't know what to believe, she says, always believe in the behavior. Why is that? It's of course because our behavior follows what we value. Regardless of what we think, regardless even of what we say, what we do will reveal what we truly believe, what we respect, and what we trust. And most of all, our behavior reveals what we love. And that's the very point that Jesus makes with his disciples on his last night with them before his crucifixion. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's the fullness of Jesus' love for God the Father that led him to obedience, to perfect obedience, even to the sacrifice of his own life. And likewise, it is the fullness of Christ's love received, and now our love for Christ expressed that leads to our obedience. And so we must choose. Will we trust him who spoke with such authority? Will we, will we cherish him who cared for us so sacrificially? Will we love him who loved us so perfectly? Will we obey him? Several months ago, someone in our community group was contacted by a man in the Middle East. We'll call him Muhammad. We can't use his real name or his location for security reasons. But he shared that he was raised Muslim, predominantly Muslim country, but that he had recently come to faith in Christ. And he went on to share about how that happened. Jesus came to him in a dream, actually in multiple dreams. Appeared to him, convicted him of his sin Revealed to him that he is God and beckoned him to come to faith. And so Muhammad accepted Christ. But there was no Christian community where he, he lives. There's no church for him to be a part of. And in fact, it's illegal where he lives to convert to Christianity. But despite that, he was desperate to be around other Christians. And so now Muhammad zooms in to our community group every week. It's the middle of the night where he lives. He wakes up under the cover of darkness while his family is asleep so that they don't overhear. And he listens in just so that he can hear the word of God read, so that he can hear us pray, that he can join us in fellowship. And he recently recorded his testimony for us, and so we got to listen to it. He recounted the dreams where, where Christ came to him. And I was struck by s- some of the nonverbal communication in the message. The whole time he's recording this message, he has to stop and look over his shoulder, left and right, to make sure that no one is coming up behind him to overhear what he's saying. At the risk Of his freedom and possibly even his life. He said in his testimony, I love Jesus, and I'm not afraid of dying. And if I die, I'll carry my cross with me to heaven and be with him. Muhammad has chosen who he will follow, he has chosen how he will build his life. And we too must choose. So we all must make a choice. There's a second reality here that Jesus highlights in this parable, that there's a test. There's a test that is coming. In the metaphor Jesus uses, you note that there's no distinction between the external appearances of the two houses. Right? The quality of the workmanship may appear identical. Both the houses may look Extraordinary from the outside, but there is, in fact, a vital difference. Throughout the sermon, Jesus has emphasized the necessity of a deeper righteousness, a heart-level righteousness, right? He said, you, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look lustfully upon a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. He said, you've heard it said, do not murder, but... But I say to you, if anyone is angry with his brother, he's in danger of God's judgment. Give to those in need, not declaring what you're doing with with a blowing of a trumpet. But don't let your left hand know even what your right hand is doing. His point has been that the kingdom of God belongs to those whose hearts are fully his. To live in his kingdom means to have a committed allegiance to, love for, and trust in God. And that will work its way out from our hearts into our actions, into every sphere of our life. And this is in contrast to, in the sermon, in contrast to those who are self-righteous. That is, those who perform religious actions, who may even appear quite devout, but ultimately whose hearts are motivated by a self-reliance or a self-righteousness rather than by a genuine trust in God. And so what that means is that the house, as it were, of the the self-righteous person and the house of the person whose heart is devoted to God may look very similar from the outside. But there's a vital difference between the two houses that each rests on a very different footing. And this footing is the difference between a person who has chosen to trust God and the person who has chosen to trust self. One day, there will come a test that reveals what we have chosen. I want you to imagine you're you're buying a home, right? Maybe you're a first-time home buyer here, and somehow you got an interest rate, and you're able to Pull together enough money that you could buy a home. It, that would be supernatural these days, right? <clears throat> so already the Lord is at work. Uh, and so you you find this home, and there is an amazing floor plan. You've been searching high and low. This is exactly what you wanted. Beautiful features, gorgeous finishes, you know, high vaulted ceilings, open concept, the whole works. But the home inspection reveals that Everything is great. Everything checks out except there's one issue. There's one little issue. There's a massive irreparable problem with the foundation. And In fact, let's say the foundation problems are as bad as they possibly could be. Somehow the inspector really missed it. They didn't even pour a foundation. Okay? (laughs) Would you buy that home? No. Never. Why not? Because it's dangerous. It's it's not only an extremely risky investment, let's say, it's a dangerous structure. It isn't adequately supported or anchored. It's, It's unstable. And so inevitably, when a Gainesville thunderstorm comes rolling in, or I don't know, the ground shifts around a little bit, the house could split or the entire structure could collapse. And it could collapse on top of you, with you in it. And so no matter how good the deal, no matter how great the location, no matter how spectacular the trim carpentry, you would never purchase that property. You wouldn't even consider it. Because eventually it will be exposed for what it really is. And that will be to your detriment. Do we see the desires to live life our way as equally dangerous? Do we see the allure of self reliance as a pathway to personal spiritual ruin? Do we see the temptation towards self righteousness for what it really is self destruction? Do we run from the invitation to trust ourselves like we run from a bad real estate deal? Or do we subtly entertain the idea of a life on our own terms, or in our own strength as one that's worth living? The self-oriented, self-reliant, self-righteous life is extremely dangerous and it will eventually be revealed for what it is. And according to Jesus here, the way in which God tests and reveals the choices of our life is through a storm. In one sense, he means that God allows the storms of our life to reveal to us how we are living. They're a lot like quizzes in a class. Hey, you graduates, you never have to do another quiz. Isn't that amazing? No more final exams. They're a lot like quizzes. When you're a student, you think this is just an instrument of torture being used by the professor. Why put us through this? But as you get older and wiser, you reflect back and you think, you, you discover that the quizzes are actually for your good. They help you, as the student, to see your progress and understanding, or lack thereof, and to be either appropriately encouraged or challenged to make adjustments before the final exam comes. And the storms of life can be similar. Now, I want to say, as a caveat here, this is not intended to be, you know, some kind of reductionistic explanation of, of suffering. Pain and suffering is extraordinarily complex and difficult. It can feel like cold comfort to talk about it intellectually when we are in the midst of hardship. And we don't always know the specific reasons that we face hardships, but we know that on the whole, God is working through them for our good, to sanctify us, to build our faith in him. he, He allows them because he allows the conditions of natural law, which makes them possible. But God also allows us to face Trials, in order to reveal to us how we are building our lives in real time. It's to help us to see the areas of growth and respond with change. And so the storms of life, as hard as they are, can be instruments of God's mercy to help us grow in trusting him and obeying him. So he works through the storms of this life. But there's a second meaning to the storm. That is, there's an ultimate storm. Every person's time on this planet will one day come to an end. You can be fit, you can be healthy, you know, you can have a winner's mentality. No matter how much kale you eat or how much yoga you practice or how many Sudoku puzzles you complete, eventually, your life on earth will end and you'll stand before God and give account for your life. And when we do, it is only those who trusted Christ genuinely, sincerely, and whose lives demonstrated the fruit of that faith who will withstand the storm of God's judgment. And that will be the difference between an eternity with God In an eternity apart from him. And so Jesus does not pull any punches here. He calls us to turn to him, to look to him, to follow him, to build wisely in trust and obedience. And so this week, let us use this opportunity to examine our hearts. As we come to the table, Let's look closely at our souls and consider, how am I building my life? Is it in trust and love and obedience to Christ? And if not, let's turn this morning, turn more fully to him, and choose to follow the one who chose to come for us. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Amen. each Celebr-